And everybody said amen, huh? <clears throat> Thank you, choir, orchestra, for leading us in worship. Wow. Well, we know that our theme for 2023 is why does it matter? And we are exploring various answers to that question, different facets of that question as we make our way through the church year. And now we find ourselves in the Easter season. And for the Easter season, our theme is your story. Why does it matter? And as you've been reading the Gospel of John, what I have wanted you to do is find yourself in that Gospel account. Finding yourself in similar situations in which some of these people will, who appear in the story find themselves and connect with the story that way. Today, I think we'll be able to do that because we're going to look at a very famous story. There are, there are two miracles that are found in all four Gospels. One of them is the resurrection of Christ, and the other one is the feeding of the 5,000. So those are the two miracles that actually made it into all four Gospels. And so we're going to look at John's account of the feeding of the 5,000. And I've entitled the message today, The Great Provider. So let's look at this text, John 6. We'll begin in verse 1, and uh, it's our custom, if you're able to stand as we honor the Lord Jesus when we read the Gospel. So if you'll look at this text with me. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he had already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. They sat down, about 5,000 men were there. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they who were seated as much as they were wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, let's talk a little bit about this story this morning. And then I'd like to lead you to a time of application in your own life. Think about the setting. This miracle, as is so often in John's gospel, is couched in messianic imagery. If you're paying attention and you're reading John's gospel, John is painting a messianic portrait of Jesus. He wants to make sure that his readers understand that Jesus is the Messiah. So sometimes he has very direct ways of doing that. Sometimes he has these threads that he just weaves into the story. This would be one of those. The people are outside in a wilderness area. They make their way up onto a mountain, and there's a whole multitude of people following Jesus. All of these are images of the Messiah. 
They call to mind stories from the Old Testament when God's people were in the wilderness. They found themselves at a mountain. There were so many of them. The Passover was near, John says. So this great festival where Israel will look behind there in their story and they will celebrate the miracle of the Passover. You remember when the children of Israel found themselves in the wilderness, they had no food to eat and God provided bread for them every day and so now here they are in need of food and Jesus provides bread. And so if you keep reading in John 6, you just keep making your way through the story. Look at verse 28 of John 6. Jesus talks about working and doing the work of the Lord. And they said, what do we do? How do we do the works of God? Jesus says in verse 29 of John 6, the work of God is this, believe in the one he sent. And then they said, well, what sign will you give so that we may see it? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. He gave them bread to eat. And Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, it's not Moses. There's another truly, truly. Remember that? There's another double amen. I tell you, it wasn't Moses who gave the bread from heaven, but my father. The bread that comes down from heaven is from God. And they said, well, give us this bread. Look at verse 35. Jesus said, well, I am that bread. I'm the bread of life. In other words, what Jesus is doing here is he is, he is letting these people know that he's greater than Moses. So John wants you to connect all this together. The imagery of the wilderness and the mountain and the multitude and the bread and the provision. <clears throat> all of this is a part of this messianic portrait the Passover, all of this taking place with these Jewish threads that are being woven into this mosaic that John is building for us. So then, <clears throat> they find themselves in a situation. What was their situation? The need was greater than the apparent resources. That's where they were. Had 5,000 men, and John tells us all they had was a poor boy's lunch. Now, how do we know he was a poor boy? Well, because he had barley loaves. John's one that tells us that. It wasn't just loaves of bread. Barley loaves were the poorest of the poor. So that, that's all they had. Two fish and the uh, lunch of a poor boy. And then Jesus asks Philip, so what about feeding these people? And Philip, evidently, maybe we think Philip must have said something like, well, this is all the money we have in our little pouch. Judas was the treasurer. We've got this much money. If we spend all of this money, all we could give is a bite. In other words, Philip was saying, we've got some resources, but we, we don't have enough to actually feed these people. That, that's not going to happen. So Jesus already knew what he was going to do. And so they found themselves where the need was greater than the resources. Have you ever been there? Amen. Have you ever had too much month <laughs> at the end of your money? That ever happened to you? You look at your apparent resources and there's just, there's just not enough. Well, this, this is something that Jesus is going to do to send a powerful message to these people and let them know who he really is. So what's the sign in this story? It's the miraculous provision of Jesus. And all that is, y'all, is more evidence of his identity. Jesus is letting them know someone greater than Moses is here, someone greater than Elijah, someone greater than Elisha, because those stories are, are, they're in the minds of these Jews. They know the story of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. They know the story of Elisha. They know the story of Moses. And there stands Jesus with all these people, and they're hungry at the end of the day, and all they have is one little lunch, and Jesus takes that lunch and, and feeds everybody. And guess how many baskets are left over? Twelve. Isn't that interesting? <clears throat> 
almost like one for every tribe. John is letting us know that someone greater than Moses, Elijah, and Elisha is here. As a matter of fact, the gospel writers are letting us know that because this is the one miracle that makes it into every gospel, the feeding of the 5,000. And the people were overwhelmed with joy. As a matter of fact, they recognized it and they thought to themselves, this is the guy, this is the prophet. In fact, we just need to crown him king right now. Because in their mind, this is what they've been waiting for. They've been longing for this person who could perform these miraculous signs, deliver them from the Romans, and set up an earthly kingdom for Israel. That's what they were longing for. And it looked to them like they had found him. And then Jesus just disappears. You know, he's good at that. <laughs> because according to John, his hour had not yet come. And so it wasn't time for that yet. And he's going to be a very different kind of king. One that's going to be difficult for them to fully understand, but ultimately one day they would all embrace. So what an incredible story, y'all. What a, what a great miracle-working God. God does provide. I don't know if you've ever had that, heard that story about the, the guy that showed up to ask for um, his, his girlfriend's hand in marriage, and so he meets with the dad, and the dad says, well, so tell me what your plans are. And the, and the boy said, well, I'm, I'm planning on being a biblical scholar. He said, okay, good. He said, so, um, so are you going to be able to buy my daughter a ring? And he said, well, you know, I believe God will provide. I said, okay. He said, well, then, well, then what about a home? Are you going to be able to provide my daughter a home? And he said, well, you know, I just believe God will provide. And he said, well, what if y'all have children? Do you think you're going to be able to take care of me? He said, I just believe God will provide. So he went back to his wife and she said, well, honey, how'd it go? He said, well, he has no job, no plans, no money, and he thinks I'm God. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so we don't want to, we don't, we don't want to play on that too much, okay? Um, but here's what I would say, though. You see, in my world, where I live today, I'm not so sure that many Christians, even the, in the West, even really believe in God like we should. I'm going to say that carefully. Because I think for many people in the West, I'm, I'm reading this book right now, just about how our views have changed. And the author that I'm reading has shared his view that for many American Christians, God is just an idea. But he's not really somebody we meet. Not, not really somebody that we experience. And I'm here to tell y'all this morning, just because I want to state the obvious, y'all do know that God is not just an idea, right? Yeah, y'all do know that the God of the universe is our God, and he has met and experienced, and he provides. So, here's what I want to say when I think about this miracle, which is an incredible miracle. There's so many ways we could go with it. I love the little boy. We could talk about the little boy. What was it about Andrew? Why did people approach Andrew? Why didn't the little boy bring the lunch to Peter? I don't know. There was something. It seems like everybody Andrew meets in the Gospels, he brings them to Jesus. You ever notice that? That's just kind of what happens with Andrew. There's so many ways we could kind of pursue this. But I want to focus in on just the fact that, that God provides. So when you find yourself in a situation where the need is great, and the apparent resources are limited. Here's my counsel to you. Give Jesus room to work in your life. Regardless of what the needs are. 
Because here's what I've learned about the Lord. He is filled with resources. He is the great provider. I hope you already know that. You know, years ago when I first came here to be your pastor, we were trying to launch a global mission effort. And uh, I was very early as the pastor of this church, my first year here. And the vision that God had given me was grander than what we had. And it was grander than our resources. And so I shared some of that vision. Cindy and I talked about it with various leaders in our mission world. And so one day, one of our mission leaders came to my office. Sweet person. But he just couldn't, he just couldn't grasp it. And he came in and he sat down and he had a little pie chart. And he put that pie chart on my table in my office. And he said, Pastor, we love you. But I just got to tell you, we never make budget here. And we, 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 just, we just struggle sometimes. And now here you are. You put this, you, you want to do Africa? You want to do medical missions? He said, let me show you this. So show me a pie. And he had all our mission stuff in the pie. He said, so now you want to add all of that. So what's going to happen is when you do that, you're going to shrink everybody else's piece of this pie. And I just, I just can't see it. And I said, you know what? Thank you, brother. I just raked that piece of paper off and said, I don't want your pie. Let's get a bigger pie. And then guess what? Your piece just got bigger. And he said, you think that can happen? I said, absolutely, it can happen. Now, come on, y'all. Look at what's happened. So, we were praying about launching our global effort. But the resources just weren't there. One night, Cindy and I were sitting at our kitchen table praying about it. And uh, Cindy just started crying as she was praying, Lord, well, you've led us to this, and we just, don't, we just have seen roadblock after roadblock. This is a great church, but this piece is the struggle. So that very week, an older lady in our church asked if she could come see me. So she comes to my office, had a couple family members with her, and she said, Pastor, I've heard that you want to start some mission stuff. I don't really even understand it, but I don't care. I want to help. And she pulls a check out of her purse and hands it to me. We were trying to launch a counseling center. So we're going back 20, 21 years. Global Mission Center. And uh, I looked at the check. I thought it was $10,000. And I thought, you know, that's going to help. I said, I, man, thank you. My goodness. And I just went on and on. And finally, I glanced back at the check. It was $100,000. And I said to her, I said, that check is $100,000. She said, is that okay? I said, yes, yes. Yes. You remember that. <clears throat> so I, she left. I go down to Terry's office. We needed $35,000 to finish that counseling center. We took that money and finished that counseling center. We took the rest of it and launched our whole global missions, our medical missions, our mobile pharmacy. We took that medical missions to Mexico, and one of the men that we worked with in Mexico decided to bring a young dental student to come join the medical mission team that we had just started down there. And that young man's name was Gabe Herrera, who ended up becoming a missionary at this church and now serves in Sierra Leone. And it all goes back to God's provision. I just want y'all to know, sometimes you're going to find yourself in a place where you just don't have enough resources to meet the need or the vision. And when that happens, you got to give Jesus room to work. And you got to trust him. He has shown me that over and over and over. And it's more than just money, y'all. It's just in general. It's just, it's just how he works. You know, years ago, I was in my office in Huntsville, Alabama. 
And I got a phone call from Tom Myers in this church. Wanted me to send him a video. Now, does that date, does that date this story? I don't know if they even have those anymore. And I said, no. I said, we're, we're, we're entrenched. He said, Dennis, I'm on the search committee at First Baptist Arlington. We, we would like to watch one of your sermons. I said, there's no need to watch one of my sermons. I'm not moving to Arlington, Texas. And so, well, finally, I agreed to send him one, and it was the funniest thing. Y'all, I had a stack of videos on my desk, and I just grabbed one one day and put it in an envelope and sent it. And I told Cindy, I said, well, First Baptist Arlington, Texas, wants me to send him a video. I sent him one. She said, which one did you send? I said, I don't know. I just grabbed a video. She said, are you sure you were preaching on it? I said, well. <laughs> if not, maybe they'll call somebody else. I don't know. <laughs> we continued that journey. And as y'all know, Cindy and I just turned you down several times. It just, just didn't seem right. So it's just the timing was off. The, there were just so many things going on in our life. And finally, after I came out here one day by myself and met with this committee and told them officially no, I got home and Cindy comes to me and she says, honey, we really need to pray about this first Baptist or anything. I said, it's too late. <laughs> We've told them no, they've told us they're moving on. It was in February. She said, well, let's just pray. And if they call us back, we're going. I said, they ain't going to call us back. <laughs> you weren't there at that meeting. Trust me, that phone call ain't coming. <clears throat> we're getting ready to leave. Cindy and I are going to go to Africa, and then we're going to spend our sabbatical that summer in England. And we're leaving Cindy's leaving on a Friday. I'm leaving the next Monday. On Wednesday, I get a phone call, Tom Myers. And uh, I said, hey, Tom, how you doing? And he said, good. I said, I know why you called. He said, oh, really? I said, I do. Y'all found a pastor. He said, that's right. I said, well, I'm so glad. Is it? And I started naming people. No. Is it so? No. Mm. Well, you know, I told y'all to go hear a song. Yep, I went to hear him. No. I said, do I know him? Yes, it's you. You think I'll ever forget that phone call? So I went and got in my car, drove to where Cindy was. I told her that. She looked at me and she said, we're moving to Arlington. So we go to Africa, do our work there. We get to England. We got our kids with us. After we'd been in England for a few days, we decided to tell them, y'all, when we get home, we just need y'all to know. We're going to live in Arlington, Texas. <laughs> Didn't go well. My little girls starting high school, just made cheerleader, just made the basketball team. And so we had some really hard nights. One night in particular, I'm gonna be honest with y'all, James Dobson wouldn't be proud. It was a, <laughs> let's just say it wasn't my finest moment. <clears throat> We're in Stratford-upon-Avon, and um, so about 2 o'clock that morning, I was awake. I just couldn't sleep, and finally, I told the Lord, I said, Lord, my little family is struggling, and uh, we, uh, we need help, because that night, Hannah had come upstairs where we were staying, and she said, hey, everything's great. Everything's great. I said, really? She said, yeah, I'm so excited for you, Dad. I'm not going, but I'm excited for you. <laughs> 
She said, in fact, I just called Miss Lauderdale and she's agreed to be my um, guarantor for my education. I'm just going to live with them and do high school and I'll visit y'all on holidays. She said, but I think you and mom and Josiah are going to love Texas. <laughs> so I prayed. I said, Lord, we need a sign. I know you're not supposed to always ask for signs. I'm not sure if you are or not, to be honest with you, but I'm asking for one. We got up that morning, y'all. Some of y'all remember this story. Some of y'all were in on it with me. Y'all remember? Got up that next morning, Stratford-upon-Avon. No Hannah. My teenage daughter. It's raining outside. I'm driving on the wrong side of the road. Shifting gears with my left hand. I can't get out of the roundabout because I don't know how. I just, I just, <laughs> we just circle. <clears throat> and Cindy says, go. And I'm like, no, no. It's a miracle we got anywhere. <laughs> so I go out to the parking lot and I see Hannah's little, um, little roller uh, luggage sitting behind our car. And Hannah's sitting in the car with the headphones on, crying. And so I went out and told Cindy, I said, well, I found Hannah. She's in the car. I said, let's go. We get in the car. We're on our way to Gloucester, Gloucester, Gloucester. I don't know how you say it, Miss Mary. I would have said Gloucester, but that's not how you say it. We were leaving Stratford-upon-Avon to go there. Um, while we were in Stratford-upon-Avon that night before we left, we're having dinner at this really historic British restaurant, Pizza Hut, there in Stratford-upon-Avon. <laughs> and uh, there's a young couple sitting across from us. After we'd been finished eating, this guy gets up and walks over there, very British young man. He says, excuse me, I didn't ask you a question. I said, okay. He said, are you all from Alabama? <laughs> I said, was the intelligence level of the conversation what caused you to come over and ask that question? He said, actually, it was your accent. I said, hmm. He said, my brother lives in Mobile. <laughs> and he said, I've been to visit him, and you sound like them. <clears throat> I said, I'd be Mobile, actually, but that's okay. And they said, well, so we get to meet them. They, we talked about everything, and they just asked us why we were there, told them the whole story, and found out I was a pastor. And I was there studying the charismatic renewal movement in England. And he said, well, we go to a charismatic church in Birmingham, I said, that's where I'm from. I said, well, we say Birmingham. <clears throat> he said, would y'all come to church with us next Sunday? We said, absolutely. So we got all our stuff together for them. So we leave Stratford-upon-Avon that morning. Hannah's crying. It's raining. I'm driving on the wrong side of the road. We're going to Gloucester, whatever it is. And, I, and Cindy said, well, where do you want to go today? I said, do you think I really care where we go today? Everybody's miserable. Look at this. Look at us. And... Uh, so Cindy gets the map out. This is before GPS. And she said, well, I tell you what. She said, what if we cut south a little bit? And let, I'm looking at this little town called Bybury. Let's go there. Oh, great. I said, what's in Bybury? I don't know. Awesome. But it says it's the most photographed village in England. Great. <laughs> Personally, I had visited every Baptist church we had found in England already. I had my picture made in front of many churches in London, Gloucestonbury, we found all these little Baptist churches everywhere. Pull into Bybury, get out of our car, there's a little sign that says Baptist Church. That's all it said, with a little arrow. I looked at Cindy, I said, I don't know what y'all are going to do, but I'm going to that Baptist Church. And one of y'all is coming with me because you're going to take my picture, like we've done every church so far. And Hannah went, oh <laughs> Y'all remember this, right? We go out of that little village, we turn up that dirt road, and we got to that church. Praying for a sign in Bybury, England, and that church. 
Arlington Baptist Church. I got a picture of it. I keep that picture in my office just so I don't ever forget. I don't know why Arlington Baptist Church is in Byberry, England. But there I stood. Hannah walked up and she said, this is not a sign. <laughs> I patted that sign. I said, yes, it is. It's written in concrete. <laughs> Our little family, we just kind of healed up. Spent the night in Gloucester. Went to church in Birmingham. We get there and the Meet the little couple. And he says this to me. He says, you know, Dennis, I'm sorry, but our pastor's not here today. And I was so excited about you meeting our pastor. I wanted you to tell him about the fact that you're a pastor and you're on sabbatical. He said, we got a guest preacher. I don't know anything about him. I said, it's okay. I just want to be here for your church. Had the worship service. Service was over. He says, well, I want to go introduce you to the, at least let the preacher know who you are. So this pastor comes down the aisle. We walk up the aisle. Shakes our hand. He tells the pastor who I am. Preacher, guest preacher, he looks at me and he says, Cindy, Dennis, Hannah, and Josiah are standing there. And he said, the Lord just revealed to me, your family is in disarray. You're about to make a huge decision. And it's got this whole family upset. upset. He said, come over here in this room. I'm going to pray over y'all. We just kind of floated. <laughs> we don't know this guy. He didn't know us. He said, I have no idea what's going on in your life. He said, but whatever it is, you better do what God's telling you to do. And then he just prayed over us. I say all that to say this to y'all. The Lord provides. And he's done it for me over and over and over. And you know what I've learned? Sometimes when the Lord provides, the obedience he calls for is costly to you and those around you. That's what's happened in my life. It was a costly decision for us to come here. But you know what? We've all been blessed. God's blessed us. He's blessed you. That's how it works. And you're able to give testimony about this kind of stuff. And he gets the glory. I want to praise his name today for a lot of things. This morning, the Arlington Baptist Church in England has a lady who's the pastor. I wrote her this morning just to let her know. I love your church. I've never met you. I've never been back, but I don't have to go back. Once was enough for me. It was a life-changing moment. So we would say to the Lord this morning, thank you for providing for us. Is that not our testimony? Amen. And amen. Let's pray together. Father, we, we love you. We marvel. We continue to marvel at your provision, Lord, how you just... Sometimes you just speak so clearly. Doesn't mean it's easy. And we have to trust your provision. It may not be what we wanted necessarily always. Man, you're so good at it. And I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for providing for this church all these years. Story after story after story. People in this church right now could give a stand right now, stand up and give a testimony about how God provided for them. And God, we want to give you the praise for it. Thank you. You just, you just make yourself known. And we thank you that you're not just an idea, but you're the living God of the universe. And so, Lord, meet these people. 
in their real circumstances and make yourself known. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen.